theology class, we asked a question. Can the finite comprehend the infinite? In other words, can we as mortal human beings understand the eternal God who's out there? Spoiler alert, the answer was yes. We can because of how God created us, but also because he's revealed himself to us, as as Paul says in Romans, both in nature and also through his word, by going through the prophets and speaking to man and having that recorded in the book that we call the Bible. Back when Moses was called by God to deliver his people from Egypt, Moses asked a question. Basically, he said, what's your name? But he said, when I go to them, who should I say sent me? And his answer was, I am. Or I am that I am, or some translated, the being one. And there God was revealing his nature that he's the only one who's existed throughout time. When Jesus, in the book of John, starts to reveal more about himself, he uses that phrase again, I am, to equate himself with who he really is, who is God, but also to reveal more about his purpose and his nature and his mission to us. In John, there are seven different I am statements. And we're going to take a look at the first one today, I am the bread of life. So let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. If you have the version app, if you go to events, you can go to Cedars Church, and, and the verses are there. There's a lot of verses I'm going to be reading, so hang in there. But we want to talk about what he means when he says, I am the bread of life. So we start off in verse 25, and it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, we have to back up just a little bit to see some of the events that just transpired. In fact, Jesus had just found out that that his cousin, John the Baptist, was beheaded and killed by Herod. And he he told his disciples, let's go away. They were trying to go to a solitary place and and to mourn, to be with God. But then when he went there, everybody else said, hey, there goes Jesus, and they followed him. And when he got there, of course, there were all these people there. So realizing their need, he started to heal them. And I'm sure, even though the text doesn't talk about it, probably share and talk to them and teach them also. And he was there so long that the people didn't have any food left. So this is when the feeding of the 5,000 happens. Or as Craig and I were talking about, well, probably about 9,000 because it didn't include men and women. Or it didn't include women and children, just the men. And, and so at that point, he, he has them be all being fed. And they see this, this miracle that happens. And it's interesting that there's 12 basketful left over, which 12 is that number of completeness or total sustainability that God provides for them. After that, Jesus sent the disciples across the lake on a boat, and he stayed behind to dismiss the people. And then he, he prays some, and at night he starts to walk across the water there's a wind that kept the disciples from making all the way across. So he kind of meets them out there. And at first they're afraid. And then, of course, that's when Peter says, hey, I can do that too, okay? Call me out. And he does, and he starts to sink. And we know that story too. But when, when they again get to the other side of the lake, the crowd wakes up the next morning and goes, where's Jesus? And they can't find him. And they, they realize his disciples went earlier. So they, they go across the lake and they find him there. And so they ask him this question. Rabbi, when did you get here? Now, Jesus does not answer their question. There there are several parts in Scripture where we see 
Jesus takes their question and goes to the heart of the matter. And here's what Jesus says then. said, Jesus answered, Verily, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, referring probably to those miracles he just did, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, throughout this section, we're going to talk a lot about signs and about work. We're going to see both of those come up. Uh, John has a lot of areas where he talks about signs, but already they have seen enough to realize, hey, there's something special about this person. Remember last week, Laura had us look at the questions in, in Matthew where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say, or who do the people say I am? And then finally, who do you say I am? And here, the people recognize, well, there's something miraculous about him. He seems to be a prophet or something that can do these signs. But they even go deeper and say, hey, this is something that's actually feeding us. They're giving us our physical needs. And so Jesus says, you know, what's, what's in your heart is not that you're hearing what God is saying. You're just looking for more food. You're looking to have your physical needs met, but you're not looking to have your spiritual needs met. This, from there, he says, uh, or they asked, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? So you see, they picked up on that word works, but they were still thinking in terms of, you know, the rituals they had to perform, the special stuff they, so they could gain God's approval. That's what they were looking for. And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You see, he starts to now turn the focus on himself and his purpose for coming, which was to pay for the sin of the world, to open the door so that those who believe could find eternal life. He goes on and says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then the famous verse that, that probably most of you can recite by heart in one version or another, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So you see, I'm going back to John 3 to, to clarify what was being said about you know, the works that he was and the eternal life. This is when Nicodemus came to him and, and was inquiring of Jesus in private about who he is and what's going on. And that's when he says, hey, I've come for this purpose to bring eternal life, that whoever believes in me. And where he did that in secret with Nicodemus, now he's expanding that and now being more open to share who he is and what his purpose was in coming. Then we continue on in John 6 where he says, So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So, so here Jesus is taking what they initially had in their heart, which was, hey, I, I want to go find Jesus because, boy, that was good food he made. I don't know how, where he got all that, but look, at he just made food and we got to eat it. Hey, maybe we can go get some dinner now or breakfast or whatever. Go to, go to Wendy's and get that nice sandwich, right? And, and so what he's saying is, that, no, no. What you really have to understand is my purpose in coming was to bring 
eternal life to you, to bring real life to you, to those who will believe. And they ask him then, well, okay, the works that you said we have to do is just to believe, but what sign, what are you going to do now? What what magic trick will you do now to, to show us? And they kind of talk about, well, we got that manna from heaven. Maybe you could do that one too. Now, remember in the manna they got for 40 years because they were wandering in the desert because of their sin until they got to the promised land when it went away. But now they're saying, maybe, maybe we can get that manna to start coming down again. That would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? And they forgot that they've already seen every sign necessary for them to recognize who Jesus was. They just weren't open to see him for who he really was. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. So see, again, Jesus is contrasting that which happened under Moses. The manna came down, and they, they were able to gather it each morning, and just enough for them to eat on and to, to sustain them physically during those 40 years in the wilderness. But he says, you know, the true bread that comes from heaven isn't that manna that flaked down. It's me. See, the true bread is the one who comes down from heaven to give life to the world. So he's again pointing to himself and and really pointing to the work he would do on the cross and, and the resurrection, which we just celebrated this past Easter. That is what was going to bring life, that his sacrifice for our sins was going to pay the penalty of sin in our lives so that we could then find eternal life. And and at this point, it makes sense that they don't totally understand that because they're so used to what the world has told them or what their society has told them about what it means to be connected to God. It's probably, if you talk to somebody in our society who's not a Christian or that's spiritual, they'll they'll probably say, oh yeah, you have to do this, or you're going to have to meditate or get these crystals, or you have to do good works, or you have to do whatever to gain some kind of spiritual reward. And Jesus is saying, you know, what you really need to do is listen to the one that God has sent. So as the bread of heaven, that's who I'm going to be. I'm giving you life, this eternal life. And, And they want this bread, they say, but they're thinking more of their stomach than they're thinking about their soul. And then Jesus declares the statement that we're hitting on this morning. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So the statement, I am the bread of life, he's now equating with the fact that he's bringing life to them. In fact, he talked about it as eternal life. And a lot of it's the reference to what he was about to do on the cross. Uh, Talking about the fact that he's going to die for our sins. He doesn't quite, they don't quite get there yet. He goes on, well, he goes on and says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So, I mean, we can now look back at these statements that many years ago and recognize he is giving them fairly clear idea of his purpose and who he is. They're still in the fog of before the, you know, the, the death, burial, and resurrection. They're having a difficulty equating it with what they think that the Messiah or what a prophet should do and who he should be. They don't recognize the scriptures that talk about the Messiah as coming and, and, and suffering and dying for them. But he says, you have to look at the Son, believe in him, that brings eternal life. And we talk about the idea of having faith, believing and receiving, so that he becomes now a part of what you are. So as the bread of life, you eat him in. That's what he, Jesus talked about at the, the Last Supper, remember? Take my body and my blood. As a, as a symbol of his death that you're now accepting as payment for your sin. And until you have that, you're really in spiritual death. You are not connected to God. In fact, you're an enemy of God, it says. And you don't have the ability even to do the right thing because the sin nature in you overwhelms you. And so he's saying, "This I am the bread, the one who's going to bring you life and bring you back from death. Now, when he talks about the bread coming from heaven and he's equating himself to that, the Jews become offended. In fact, this is the delineation point. Up to here, there are many, many crowds following him everywhere. And after this, the crowds shrink because of this one problem. It says, at this time, Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So they heard the words, but they had problem with it. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? whose father and mother we know, how can he now say, I came down from heaven? In other words, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You're getting this, this weird message to us. I mean, we, we saw you as a baby. I mean, we recognize you running around with all the other kids, and, and you're now saying you came from heaven. We know where you came from. We know your mother and your father. You're just blowing our minds. We cannot understand how you could be coming from heaven when we already saw where you came from. So you saw, in fact, at one point, Jesus talks about, hey, a prophet is not honored in his own country or his own area because there's familiarity with him. So here the Jews are saying, wait, I, I don't get this. I, we see you coming from, from earth. We know you were born here. How can you say you came from heaven? Jesus replied to them, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one, who has, seen the fa- no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Uh, we, we've been talking about this in our theology class, the fact that God created time, space, and matter and is beyond time, space, and matter. He's not 
contained by it. And so therefore, we can't see God in the respect that we're, we're time-bound, we're space-bound, and, and we're physical. And even though we have a spiritual nature, we can't really comprehend God until God came down to us. In fact, that when Jesus came, he became God in the flesh. He became our way to understand more about God because he revealed himself through Christ's words, through his actions, through his deeds, as, as who God is and who he was and what he's doing for us. And so he's saying, hey, the prophet already said that God would teach you, and, and he's basically saying, I am here. You've been listening to me, you've been seeing the things I do, and yet you haven't accepted who I am. You still have a wrong concept for who I am, that I'm a mere man, and that maybe a prophet, but you don't quite understand why I came and what my purpose is. Then he goes on and says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And if you go on from there, they're having problems with that idea of eating my flesh. That's for sure. But, but what does that really mean? It's, it's really reminiscent of what Jesus said at the Last Supper. Matthew says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. So the, the fact that Jesus is the bread of life, first of all, is because he actually brings life to us when we were separated from God, when we basically were in spiritual death that we have to recognize his salvation or the salvation he brings us through what he did on the cross. And our response isn't that we try to be better, isn't that we try to do the right rituals. And there's many religions that list both of those kinds of things. Hey, we just have to do the right things and you'll get there. But he says the belief is the work itself. It's that recognizing who I am and accepting that and that's one of the hard parts, too, is accepting the fact of who he is rather than who we've made him to be. And then when you have that belief, it comes out with the fact that we now are connected to God by his payment for our sin. That's what brings life. And that's one of the key parts. In fact, one of the two parts of what it means by I am the bread of life. But there's also another aspect to it. So, you know, if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never seen that, this is an opportunity to, to start to explore Jesus. Is he really who he said he was? Because if he is, it's your eternal soul that's really in alignment with that. It, if you accept him, you will have eternal life. If you don't, you won't. In fact, it talks about eternal death. Uh, we, we talked uh, last time I spoke from C.S. Lewis's quote about liar, lunatic, or lord. You, you have to look at him to find out, is he really who he said he was? Because if he is, it has great repercussions for not only this life, but the life to come. But Jesus being the bread of life is even more than that. You see, 
He brings life to us now, even for those who have accepted and received him and believed in him. Now we have a kind of life that we didn't have before. Let's take a look at Matthew 4, verses 2 and through 4. It says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remember, this happens right after he was baptized by John. And the the Spirit of God descended like a dove to basically say, This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes away to fast. Now, I always thought it was be difficult to fast for 40 days. And I had to look it up to find out, well, what about long fasts? What are they like? And they say that a a person, an average person, I probably could last a little longer. I have a little bit extra uh, cushion with me. But average person can survive 40 to maybe 60 days without food as long as they have a water source. But by day 40, it's really affecting you. and, And you're really, I mean, your body's struggling for nutrition. In fact, they say that a person between 43 and 60 days would probably die if they go that long without food of any type. And so Jesus was at the end of that period with the part where he was as weak as possible in the flesh. His body was needing nutrition. And that's why Satan tempted him to say, hey, let me be the one who uh, supplies your needs. Let me be the one, uh, or you can do it yourself, but hey, take my advice and do this. Don't wait for God. You know, do this like I've told you to do. And that's, that was the temptation. And Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy, and shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. This actually comes from Deuteronomy 8, where it says, hey, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. So Moses is recalling God has done for them after they were brought out of captivity from Egypt. It says, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So what that shows us is is that as the bread of life, it's really God's word or Jesus as the word that brings life to us, not only the eternal life that we're going to have because of his sacrifice, but allows us to live each and every day within what God wants us, what his will is for us. In fact, in John 1, he points out, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus being the word, I I like to equate it with that passage from Deuteronomy because he says, hey, you don't live by bread alone. Bread will suffice to help your physical body. But it's my word that will help you really live and have the strength that you need to live out the life that he's given you. And so when we see Jesus as the bread of life, he's there for our salvation. That's key. But he's also there to sustain us 
through all things to give us the knowledge that we need, to give us the power that we need through the Holy Spirit that allows us to live out the life that God wants us to live out. Now, I I look at my own life, and I I could trace points of weakness. I never fasted for 40 days, but I could point to other events in my life where I was extremely weak. And sometimes I did the right thing and relied on God, and he helped make it through. And other times I wandered in the desert for 40 years because I took the wrong path. But in both cases, God showed up. And I was able to get deliverance because he is faithful. And here it says what we really need to do if we, if we want this bread of life and, and say, well, how do I eat this bread? If, he's, if Jesus is the bread of life, you know, what, what is this whole idea about consuming his body and his blood? Well, of course, in one case, it's the, the idea that we're equating ourselves with his sacrifice for us. We're accepting that, his sacrifice that he died on the cross. But the other part is that we're taking him in as the word of God into our lives to change how we respond to our life. To actually have the ability to live out the life that he's asked us to do. In Hebrews 4, I, I love this passage. It says, for the word of God is alive and active. And of course, I'm pointing it then. Jesus is the word. Of course, the scripture he's given us the word, but that's derived through Christ. So the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to divining soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything's uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So we say that the word of God itself is the thing that is alive and active in our lives. So if we're not allowing the word of God into our lives, then we're basically in a fast situation where we're weak and unable to defend ourselves from what the world is trying to do to us, what the evil one is trying to do. I was reading an article about the American Bible Society. And they do a, a survey every year to, to determine how, what percentage of the American population is interacting with the Bible in some way or another. And, and they define it as a very low bar. They say, if you do this three or four times a year outside of church, then you're considered at least interacting with the Bible. That, that seems to be a fairly low bar. Anyone could do that pretty easily, sometimes just by walking down the street and reading some people's t-shirts. You might get that much scripture, right? But they're saying that, that the percentage of people has dropped, that it's been around 60% the last few years. This year, it's down below 40% in the 40s when they're surveying just an average group of people. And in fact, what they're saying is that for Christians, we're finding more and more Christians that are putting the Bible aside, and maybe they go to a church and they're getting some there, but they're finding less they're interacting with it during the week. Maybe some of that was due to, to COVID and people are going to small groups less. Or they're, they're finding other activities to kind of keep their minds at ease. But without the Word of God coming into us, we're basically, it's as if we're not eating the food that is necessary for us to li- really live. Um, if you think about yourself, if, if you just didn't eat food for 40 days, where would you be at? Well, how would you feel? 
And how would you be able to actually go out there and, and run the miles that certain of the people in our church seem to go run? And I'm not running with you, okay? Just remember that. I'll take a good long walk. Not going to run like that. The Word of God is important for us that we're consuming it, that we're allowing it to have the effect in our lives that God wants. 2 Timothy three fourteen through 17 says... But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convicted of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this course was Paul's letter to Timothy, his student, to help him remember, hey, you know, the scriptures are so important for us because they contain the words that we need in order to really live. In fact, that last verse is one that, the last two verses are ones that that we talk about a lot, that it's God-breathed, in other words, that God has put his breath into it so that what it contains is God's communication to us. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if we don't have that continual feeding of the word, we're, we're losing out on the ability to really differentiate things such as right and wrong. Or to understand, well, is this a right, good move for me to make or not? We, we talk in our theology class that there's many sources or several sources to use to understand what God's communicating to us. That, that we can use, of course, the people around us. We're, we're with fellow Christians, so we're hearing the word through them. We're also looking at nature and seeing what God has done with that. He also speaks to us through the Holy Spirit and gives us indications in, internally about certain things. But the only true objective source that we have is, is the scriptures themselves, the word of God. And the question really is, well, how much interaction are we having with God's word? How much of that bread of life are we consuming on a daily or weekly or even monthly basis? Are we getting the nutrition that we really need in order to, to be strong and stand firm with what God has told us and how, who he wants us to be? And I can assure you that in my life, when, when Scripture was not a big portion of my life, I struggled. <laughs> because there were other voices telling me things. And I was listening to these other voices. I needed to listen to the voice of God. I needed to consume the true bread that Christ Jesus brought to me. Last time I spoke, I I mentioned a book that I think every Christian could read, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis, and we had some quotes there. I want to highlight another book that I think would behoove you to every person to go through. And it's not just a simple read because you kind of have to study it a little bit because it's teaching you how to, to study the Bible, as well as how to allow the Bible to have an effect on your life. And it's called Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks was a longtime professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And in fact, some of the pastors that are famous out there that you might follow and listen to probably were students of his at one time or another. 
And, and there are certain quotes that, that I always have held on to that I really like, and I wanted to just mention these, but I wanted to also encourage you. This is a book to read. If you want to put something on your reading list, Living by the Book is definitely one of those. It says, Dusty Bibles always lead to dirty lives. In fact, you are either in the Word, and the Word is conforming you to an image of Jesus Christ, or you are in the world, and the world is squeezing you into its mold. Now, in fact, if you kind of look at where our world is headed, uh, it seems like more and more, as, as the American Bible Society showed, that people are not turning to the Scriptures for truth, to give them direction for where to go. They're turning to other sources. In fact, those other sources are telling them the opposite of what Scripture tells us. When we look at what the world tells us, we have to always run it through the filter of Scripture as well as the filter of the Spirit that's in us as well as the people around us so we can differentiate truth from lies. You know, when, when the Bible says something, that's what we want to hold on to. If the world conflicts with that, guess which one we should reject? What, what the world is telling us. We definitely don't want to keep that. Because again, what mold are we getting pushed into? Are we becoming more like Christ? Or are we becoming more like what the world thinks is the best thing? Another quote that he has, the Bible was written not to satisfy your curiosity, but to help you conform to Christ's image. Not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of biblical facts, but to transform your life. You know, there are a few questions we could ask ourselves at this point. We could say, well, first of all, when I look at myself, if I really do an evaluation, am I reflecting more and more of Christ than I did maybe a year ago or a month ago? Do I see his reflection in there as far as the kind of words that he said, the kind of life that he led? Am I following his example, or do I find myself being pulled into agreeing with what the world is saying and, and moving in that direction where I, I don't have the standards that God has in there that I say things like, well, you know, God said that, but he didn't really mean that. I, there was somebody else who said that back in Genesis that caused all kinds of problems, right? What we have to do is stand for what the scripture says, and that's a hard thing to do in our society right now. I know people are being canceled for having Bible verses on their clothing or for putting a Bible verse in a quote somewhere. We've seen a lot of that where people are pushing against it, saying, you guys, you, you, you're so hateful because you're talking about the Bible. And sometimes we have to stand up and say, wait, wait a minute, this is true, and, and, and maybe sit down with them and help them to see, explain to them why you believe that, hey, this is really God's word, and Help them to see the truth that's in there, if they're willing to listen. But we can't be the ones who just say, okay, I'm going to just, you know, I don't want to cause problems. So I'm just, I'm just never going to say anything. You know, yeah, I believe in my heart. I'll go to church. But when I'm out in the world, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll be an undercover Christian, you know, because I, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to cause any problems. Now, Jesus said, hey, we're not out here to offend. 
you know, we're to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But we are to stand for the truth. And we need to know the truth. And the only way to know the truth is to interact with his word on, on a consistent basis so that we understand what God has told us to do. So let's say you, you haven't really been interacting with the scriptures a lot. How can you do that? How can you start that? Well, an easy thing to do, there's a Bible app that a lot of us use, the YouVersion Bible. And it's at Bible.com, and you can download it on your phone. And there's Bible plans. And there's very simple ones where it might have a verse or two a day that you can go through, or maybe a larger section. So, so you can say, okay, I, I know I need to have the Bible in my life more. So maybe that's a way to start. And you can talk to other people in the group because there's a lot of people I know who are out there using that. So that's a way to start consistently feeding on God's word, on Jesus as the word. Then you could take a next step up. You could say, okay, there's these missional groups or these small groups. I, I could join one of those because I could have the community around me, but I also can learn scripture that way. Hey, maybe that's a good next step. That's something I can do. Or maybe you could even take the next big step and go to Bethel. Bethel is a two-year program that goes through Scripture to understand the whole story of the Bible. How that could be a good step to take. There's just so many different ways that we can now bring the Scripture into our life and feed on it so that we can get the nutrition that we're supposed to get. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I came to bring life. Eternal life through the sacrifice I made so that you can now be connected with God, but also on a daily basis, you can connect with him as the word to feed on him so that you now have things to help you to overcome what the world is telling you or the the battles and the struggles that the world puts in front of us. Let's pray. Father, I pray for those who, who are listening to this here or, or sometime in the future out there on, on YouTube, and Lord, that have not known you yet, but are hearing your words and are thinking about it. God, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you come to them, that you help convict them of their sin and their need for you. And I pray, God, for those Christians who are in their inner circle, God, that they will utilize them to ask questions and to, to come to, to ask that question, is Jesus really the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and should be my Lord and Savior? Help them right now, God, to, to start in that direction and to open their hearts and their minds to who you really are. And God, for those of us who do believe, who are part now of God's kingdom, of the family of God, God. I ask that you help stir our hearts, first of all, to seek you out each day, to seek to have your word in our lives in in a stronger way so that we can be the light on a hill, so that we could be those who can share your hope and your love for others. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.